This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise, your one-stop shop for all your beer, wine, cider, and fermented food-making needs. Mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast and get 10% off all starter kits and recipes. That's at Homebrew in Paradise, 740 Mo'ova Street in Kalihikai. Well, everyone, this is being recorded at 2.38 p.m. on Saturday, October 6th, 2018, Uh, and... You know, try as we might, it didn't work. Uh, Kavanaugh has been confirmed to the Supreme Court. The fall of American civilization continues. We descend slowly, slowly, step by step into chaos as the plutocrats continue to run roughshod over the wishes of the people. The gentleman who got 3 million votes less than the other candidate uh, for president has now been allowed to appoint uh, yet another Supreme Court justice, this one accused of sexual assault and many sundry other forms of misconduct. Um, it's not a good day for America, y'all. So I'm just going to go ahead and do the drop. Yeah. We often hear Halloween meaning white person in a negative connotation, but is a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced to foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is haole. I'm Leilani Poliahu. Ahui ho. Welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm Ryan Little. Just Michaels couldn't be here because he's in New Zealand. Also called Aotearoa. Kia ora! Kia ora! Kia ora from Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud. Hello, my lovelies. This is the Blue Hawaii Pikiwi cast. Now, all accents aside, you're going to hear Josh and Tony here. Uh, Intersperse with me. For context, this is a bit of a mashup episode. We didn't record together, so they recorded separate from me. We're combining the audio, and our engineer had this really cool idea that, hey, this kind of sounds like a cohesive episode. So that's what we're going to do. You're going to hear a little bit from me, a little bit from them, a little bit from me, a little bit from them, so on and so forth on our thoughts on the news in general. We have a very good show for you today. Josh and Tony got into all sorts of adventures, uh, including some that are a little smellier than others. They're having a fantastic time in New Zealand. Can't wait for them to come back. So you're going to be hearing uh, about politics, as usual. Uh, Things weren't great this week. And then you will be hearing a little bit about uh, what else is going on in the world, specifically in the world of sports, and whether Cooper Cronk made it through his injury or not. Um, And then... I'm going to have an interview coming up after the break with Mr. Alex Marks. He is a friend of the show and a millennial running for office in Australia. Um, As with all foreign people, we love it whenever they speak in an American accent. So I'm going to have him speak in an American accent. So, uh, you know, stay tuned for that. How are you doing today, Asmat? I'm doing fine, Joshy, but my accent keeps going a bit Scottish. Oh, well, that's all right, because you look out the window and it looks like we're in the land of the Highlands. Uh, or, at least, lo- or at least the rolling green hills of Ireland. Oh, the rolling green hills of Ireland. There's sheep everywhere. Ah, top of the morning. Basically, New Zealand is if, like, Ireland got dropped on top of Hawaii. In the best way In possible. In the best way possible. That's what it looks like. It's it's gorgeous. Uh, it's, it makes me a little homesick being here with our Polynesian cousins, the Maori. And I think because they're surrounded by so much beauty, like, not much happens over here. No, it's a very slow news country. Um, we heard on the radio a doctor 
got fined for an experimental eczema treatment that was not pre-approved. And you know what? All of his patients are like, hey, man, why are you being so harsh on this like, doctor? It worked. Like, it cured my child's <laughs> eczema. Uh, somebody shot a taxi driver in Wellington, uh, but he'll survive. So I and, guess... and the guy's going to serve seven years. Um, and he uh, uh, seems like everyone's uh, going to come around from this uh, with their lives and their future's intact. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the only multi-day story we heard multiple reports of was that kid in Utah who shredded the money for the uh, Utah Ute season football tickets. Which your mom brought up a very good point when we talked about this. Who's teaching their child to use a shredder? <sighs> Animals. <laughs> um, the one one depressing thing we've noticed is uh, the road signs here are very real. They go like, they Too go real. they go for the heart. For example, you know we're driving on the state highway, and one of the signs says, "Slow down, Dad. Make it home." <laughs> like right. Dagger to the heart. Yeah. So compare <laughs> compare uh, New Zealand uh, law enforcement to American police. Uh, you want you want to tell this story? Oh well, you know we haven't actually had an opportunity to interact with the New Zealand police. Uh, haven't seen them around too much, which is already a marked difference from Honolulu. But yeah. uh, we spent a evening with a lovely Kiwi lady named Karen, who actually lives in Australia now. And she said that she noticed American police, compared to New Zealand police, just have no sense of humor. You and, know? Yeah, and she's a middle-aged blonde white lady, so imagine how everybody else feels. Yeah. We did get a chance to inform all those uh, Aussies slash Kiwis that, yes, racism in American policing is a real thing. And because we were white, they believed us. <sighs> uh, what are we doing today? Well, we're finally going to go to Hobbiton. It's kind of a racket, isn't it? Well, it's a Lord of the Rings racket, so it's okay. Oh. And I love hobbits. <laughs> oh, you have to take the two-hour tour. Yeah, there's no option. We tried to go on our way down um, to the south of the North Island, and we found out that two-hour tour is your only option. So we're going on our way back up north to Auckland instead. Very excited. So I I'm personally excited because this is the first morning in quite a while that I have not uh, had cow shit on myself. This is true. For some reason, cows really love to get their shit on Josh. The, the first Airbnb we're staying at, uh, the, the, this family out in the countryside had a few cows, and we met this very sweet calf uh, who had a little bit of poop on her nose. And, and she just wanted to nuzzle it she against no, his she, jeans. She nuzzled on me and decided, hey, I'm just going to wipe this off. Mm -hmm. uh, and then yes, actually, currently, we're staying on a working dairy farm, and we got to go down there and do some milking. Uh, which is all very high tech nowadays, yeah. people. There's like suction cups and things, but unfortunately, I was too large for their uh, for their pre-approved dairy jumpsuit, so I had to wear my regular jacket. Uh, and it got smeared and shit, like yeah. all over the place. But you know what? Both of our hosts were very good. They washed off the clothing that was covered in shit and yes. had it for us ready by yes. the next day. So you know, uh, our New Zealand diets. Um, we've learned that beef pies are very different from cow pies. Hey, uh, that's uh, from a new comedy special, Dad Jokes 101. Um, we've also, you know, Antoinette could eat a mince pie for every meal uh, and has. Actually, it's mince and cheese. Mince that's, and cheese. Okay. that's the winner there. People, if you come to New Zealand, I recommend you don't eat anything besides mince and cheese pies. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is really emblematic of, uh, of this country. You know, the first, you're driving from Auckland down into the countryside on the highways. I thought, we sure are seeing a lot of oil tankers. Yeah, like, like I didn't think there were this many cars in New Zealand. Like double-decker oil tankers. And then we found out 
they're actually all full of milk. <laughs> ah, this is a country after my own heart, guys. Yes. Just dairy, dairy everywhere. So uh, a country after our own heart. Um, we visited Tepuya, which is a Maori cultural heritage institution that was created by an act of New Zealand parliament. And it's super cool. They have a whole bunch of Maori students on full scholarship and they do a weaving, carving, jewelry, tattooing schools, all the traditional Maori arts and crafts, cultural crafts. Um, there's also a, a geothermal site, uh, a kiwi bird sanctuary. They do cultural orientations and performances. That's true. Josh did the haka. Also known as the uh, pakehaka. That's a joke for you New Zealanders in there. Um, <laughs> it seemed, you know, it seemed legit. It seemed more legit than the than the Waikiki uh, luau experience, or you know, even the, the the Polynesian Cultural Center, which is, you know, owned by the LDS Church and has its own, you know, institutional issues with that, I suppose. Yeah. The... But we don't we don't actually know if it's actually less commodified than Hawaii culture. We assume it is, but... Well, Auntie Carol seemed to imply, and Auntie Carol was our very, very sweet Maori guide who took us through Tipuya, and, I mean, it seemed like, and I think that Auntie Carol wouldn't lie to us, no. that the Maori do control, you know, the financial earnings from that yeah. institution. They control the direction that it goes in. I mean, technically, even though the New Zealand parliament created the, you know, the institution itself in their in their act, they didn't provide any funding for it. So it's been entirely Maori driven. And, you know, one sad thing that I remember Auntie Carol saying, so it shows that, you know, New Zealand hasn't come too far. Yeah. Uh, you know, she has the traditional Maori tattoos on her back instead of on her chin because yeah. otherwise she couldn't get yeah, a job could... outside of the tourism industry. Yeah. Um, so, you know. And it's interesting. And this is something we'd actually, we'd love to talk to an actual Native Hawaiian about um, because we're just a couple of Pakeha, so we have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, all, it also goes back to, you know, uh, the basis of their, their the merging of the countries the merging of the civilizations, uh, they actually have a treaty, you know, as opposed to the United States, which annexed Hawaii via joint resolution and sort of said like, hey, you guys want statehood? Yes. OK, cool. OK, but don't don't get too up on your Pakeha high horses because, you know, we white people did screw a lot of stuff up when oh. we came here. Oh, yeah. We were at the Kiwi sanctuary sanctuary yesterday and the, the nice the Kiwi keeper, you can tell he's very passionate about these birds. He's dedicated his life to it. He also kind of looked like Jeremy Corbyn and it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> but he said basically he like everything was good until us Europeans showed up. The Kiwi bird population was in the millions. Yeah. And then um... the foundations are good. <laughs> but then Funny thing happened, the Europeans, who I think were the ones who introduced rabbits as well, right. decided they needed to get rid of the rabbits. So what did they do? They introduced stoats and ferrets in the hopes that they would kill the rabbits, but instead they wiped out the kiwi birds. Does that sound familiar, Hawaii? Hmm, something about geese? M mon geese? Mon geese mon. Uh, we get to get the mon geese to, uh, you know, get rid of the rats. Uh, gosh. Oh, that that worked out well all around. Yeah. Oh, we've got some sporting news. Um, Liverpool just drew Manchester City. Um, <laughs> the Sox took game one over the New York Yankees. But most importantly, <laughs> yes. the All Blacks. <laughs> they came back from the, they snatched the victory from the jaws of defeat. They were down 23-6 and it, they had two tries and they turned it around for a 32-30 win down 
against South Africa in Pretoria. Oh, <laughs> uh, so for those of you who are listening to our little segment on the Aussie cast, and you remember we were talking about the, the NRL final and Cooper Cronk, will he be fit? Um, I love rugby now. I think I love rugby too. It's, it's, and it's a lot, uh, for those of you who are not big sports people, it's a lot easier to watch on TV than American football because still way fewer commercial breaks, constant motion. Yeah. What the, do you think, babe? As a, as, a, as a neutral sports hater, what do you think? I'm, I'm going to be honest, guys. I do not enjoy watching American football. I'll watch my nephews play a game, obviously. Go Hawaii Kai Dolphins. Go Kaiser Cougars. Cougars. You uh, know. 96825. Uh, we go HK. HK. You yeah. know. You uh, sight. But yeah, it's so much... It, it's so much, you know, it just moves. Yeah. That's that's what I love about it. You know, they don't stop for a timeout every single down yeah. or anything like and nobody, that. And nobody kneels during the anthem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they don't have to because their police aren't killing everyone over here. <laughs> well, everyone, uh, as you heard before the drop, things did not go well for us this week. Uh, despite many numerous credible accusations of sexual assault and sexual misconduct, Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed to the Supreme Court. Yeah, we left for two weeks and you guys put a rapist on the Supreme Court? Come oh, on. And I went to Yale. Ugh. Entitled Ivy League brat. Ugh. Oh, another entitled Ivy League brat in American government. How will this change things? <laughs> Demon Spawn, Mitch McConnell, marshaled his votes uh, including one Democratic defector, Joe Manchin, Manchin, however you say his name, of West Virginia. Uh, interesting note about him. If you remember a little while back when the price of an EpiPen uh, went up four or five, six hundred percent nearly overnight, uh, that was his daughter that made that decision. So, you know, he kind of has been who he is the whole time, I guess. I think that we can definitely say with great confidence um, Screw you, Susan Collins Screw and Joe you. Manchin. Screw them all. Uh, and Joe Manchin, come on, man. Yeah. Like, what What did you get out of this? this? No matter how many times you vote with them, they're not going to like you. Like, immediately after you voted for Kavanaugh, Donald Trump Jr. got on Twitter and trashed you to his goons. And meanwhile, a leading Holocaust historian, Christopher Browning, uh, wrote an essay comparing Mitch McConnell to Hindenburg. And Chancellor, I know, Chancellor Hindenburg. Yeah. So I, I know that, you know, Nazi Germany to Trump's America comparisons aren't uh, aren't 100 percent accurate. Yeah. And Christopher Browning admits that. But I think there's a few passages from this essay that are just so on point that I have to share it. I'm sorry, Blue Hawaii podcast nope. listeners. I'm, Do it. I'm hijacking these airwaves. Tony, Tony, Tony. Get him, girl. Get him. <laughs> uh, do the passages explain for our listeners who may not know who Hindenburg was? Yeah. So okay, for those of you who don't know, Paul von Hindenburg was elected president of Germany in 1925, and he was endowed by the Weimar Constitution with various emergency powers to defend German democracy should it be in dire peril. But instead of defending it, Hindenburg became its grave digger, using these powers first to destroy democratic norms and then to ally with the Nazis to replace parliamentary government with authoritarian rule. And here's the part that we all need to pay attention to. Because an ever-shrinking base of support for traditional conservatism made it impossible to carry out their authoritarian revision of the Constitution, Hindenburg and the old right ultimately made their deal with Hitler and installed him as chancellor. That's, that's old right, not alt-right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, So they were thinking that they could ultimately control Hitler while enjoying the benefits of his popular support. Hmm. And initially, the conservatives were gratified 
ratified by the fulfillment of their agenda. They got intensified rearmament. Hmm. Uh, they were able to outlaw the Communist Party, uh, suspend freedom of speech and assembly, and then got rid of parliamentary government all itself, uh, did a purge of the civil service, um, abolished independent labor unions. Oh. Uh, stack, stack the federal judiciary, or is that... Uh, that's us. No, that's us. That, I'm sorry. That, that's, that's our no, mistake. No, that's us. So, <laughs> so Christopher Browning, esteemed scholar, um, professor emeritus at University of North Carolina. Uh, Go Tar Heels. He, he admits, you know, look, there are differences, but the... The thing that we really need to see is that Mitch McConnell has been so instrumental in eroding these democratic norms yep. that it it's not about Trump becoming the next Hitler. Obviously, Trump isn't Hitler. No, he's way too incompetent to be Hitler. Exactly. Well, no, that's problematic. We'll, let's, <laughs> let's just let's just glaze over that. Uh, but I can say, I can say it. <laughs> uh, but when trump is gone we're still going to have these eroded democratic yeah. norms we're still going to be in this space where there aren't as many rules as there used to be and yeah. i don't know how we get back from that you i mean you you, you listen to hamilton's soundtrack remember what they said about the importance of the federal the independent judiciary so much for that right Shameless. Now it's all shamelessly partisan. So what we got to do, get in there, stack the court. Uh, elect Lin-Manuel Miranda elect, president? Yes. This whole thing has been indicative of the larger problems with American democracy. Money and influence have uh, increasingly been uh, redistributed upward since 2007. Uh, that's at the highest rate in recent history, uh, it's really been happening since you know the 1960s uh, with the beginning of the labor busting movement. But money and influence have been redistributed upward. Citizens United sort of solidified that by saying that money is speech, and we've seen money talking um, at a louder volume than potentially at any point since the 1920s. Uh, you know, for those of you who didn't already think that the Supreme Court was a nakedly partisan institution, I just like to remind you all that. Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, is a registered lobbyist for Freedom Works and has put Facebook posts up about like imprisoning George Soros and taking his money. Mm -hmm. It, I mean, just honestly, folks, it doesn't look good. Uh, does that mean that we're without recourse? Absolutely not. But here's what we got to do, guys, and you know, in no particular order, we got to get, we got to end neocolonialism, and what we mean by that is either cut territories loose or make them states, right? So DC, we're looking at Puerto Rico, America Samoa. U.S. Virgin Islands, CNMI, Guam. Guam. Like mm. we're not going to force you. You don't have to, but like we're not going to do this havesies thing anymore. Like this is BS. If they're affected by our decisions, they deserve to have a say in our decisions. Yep. And you know what? After that, stack the courts, and we're going to freaking impeach Kavanaugh. We are going to get that rapist off of the Supreme Court. And Josh, Josh doesn't believe me, but white women. Listen to me now. We can do this. Get your heads out of your ass. Stop rolling around in your white lady victimhood. The patriarchy is not going to reward you for it. Like, we need to stand up and we need to change some things because this is unacceptable. Like, for all of the women that I know who are survivors of sexual assault, sexual harassment, like, like I, I'm just, I'm so sad for our country and I'm so angry. And, you know, we have to do something. But... But he went to Yale. All right, guys, I'm leaving the room. <laughs> I can't handle this anymore. Uh, it, it makes November even more important. If you were out there and you listened to episode 35 uh, with Hawaii Delilah, 
then you understand uh, at least one way that you can get involved. You can donate, you can volunteer, you can phone bank, you can give any amount of your time to a candidate in a, a district that is a toss-up district. Uh, there's several across the country. Uh, at the Senate level, there's some really notable ones, specifically Heidi Heitkamp's race in North Dakota. She's a Democrat who is, according to the polls, trailing a Republican challenger. Um, there's also the Beto O'Rourke campaign, uh, which is running uh, at full steam in Texas. He's apparently uh, a, almost in a dead heat, if not a little bit ahead, maybe a little behind Ted Cruz. Even in Hawaii, we have progressive races and progressive challengers that you can support. Now is not the time for complacency. At the federal level, if the Democrats can take back the Senate or the House, they can effectively stall almost all legislation for the remainder of the Trump presidency. If the Democrats take back the presidency in 2020, which is of paramount importance, uh, then everybody, I mean, all bets are off. You could potentially stack the court. You could impeach Kavanaugh. There's all sorts of uh, scenarios in which uh, this doesn't ruin the rest of our generation. But those scenarios are all contingent upon action. Um, the biggest thing that you can do as a listener right now is tell a millennial that you know to register to vote and hold them to it. Make sure that no matter what they say, no matter what they do, that they get to the polls on November 6th and they get out there and freaking vote uh, and vote like their lives depend on it because they absolutely do. 70 plus percent of people 65 and older are registered to vote and say that they will vote. 23% of millennials say that. The only way that we make this change is by voting and not just by showing up, by continuing to act even after the polling booth is closed. Uh, I've seen a lot of commentary about, you know, don't harass senators, don't harass representatives who vote in favor of, say, the tax cut bill or who voted in favor of child concentration camps, um, or who allowed it to go on, or who were complicit in Trump's uh, policy agenda, who voted for Kavanaugh, that's bullcrap. That's absolute bullcrap. If you look back to the founding of our very country, it was not something that was achieved through civility. It was something that was taken. If you remember episode 15 that we did with Ken Lawson, he said, power concedes nothing without demand. And that doesn't mean that we have to be civil when we're demanding it. It can be a demand that, you know, if you vote for plutocratic legislation that's going to impoverish large swaths of America while enriching others, uh, the privileged few, if you vote in favor of things that are going to cut health care, that are going to cut women's rights, that are going to cut minority LGBT rights, you will be shouted down in a restaurant because you don't deserve to be out in the republic that we live in. You don't deserve to exist peacefully in the world that we've created. That's not how this works. You don't get to have your cake and eat it too. So keep shouting, keep putting on public pressure, keep shaming, keep embarrassing. This is not how it should be. This is not how it has to be. And the only way that happens is with concerted action from all of us. Now, on to more pleasant subjects. This afternoon, we will be joined by a gentleman named Mr. Alex Marks, friend of the show and political candidate in the Victorian seat of Q, which is in Victoria, Australia, specifically Melbourne. Melbourne, as they say. Uh, you're going to hear Alex's take on politics in Australia, on uh, global issues, on United States politics in specific. 
Um, and you'll even hear a couple of food recommendations because you know we always do. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> you know, no episode with an Australian would be complete uh, without him trying to do an American accent. So uh, really looking forward to that. And encouraging news this week. Uh, it's been heavy. It's been a heavy news cycle. Seems like this week was 10 years long, but uh, momentum is still trending towards the Democrats. I know that uh, there's been talk of a, of a Kavanaugh bump in the Republicans' um, November midterm enthusiasm. And uh, according to a lot of pollsters, you know, the Democrat blue wave was is over before it started. According to the pollsters who I'm looking at, specifically Nate Silver, most of that's overblown. It's not really true. Um, it's hard to really attribute any sort of bump, and the Republicans are actually still well below where they were when Kavanaugh was nominated. So that's one positive note. On another positive note, Beto O'Rourke this this past week turned out the biggest political rally since the 2016 election, turned out 55,000 people in a park in Austin uh, for a rally for his Senate candidateship. This guy is really starting to seem like the real deal, y'all. I mean, I, I've been fanboying over Beto O'Rourke for quite some time. Uh, hard for me to not like the handsome former punk rock guy um, who turned into social justice activist. Um, that's just kind of my, that's my personal jam. Beto O'Rourke is my highest form of myself. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm into that guy. He's doing really well and that's very encouraging. Another thing that's encouraging is the continued activism and galvanization of the female vote and the female electorate. Uh, I know it's discouraging to think that um, so many men have been silent on on the issues of uh, sexual assault, sexual misconduct, but it's really, really encouraging to see that women are turning out, that the crowds are there, that the enthusiasm is there, and that they're carrying it uh, all throughout the year, and hopefully they'll carry it into November. Yeah, so everything's not all bad. This week was bad, but we've got to regroup. We're going to get back up. We're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep taking every day as, you know, one day at a time and it'll all be better in the long run. And I don't know that it's easy to believe that right now, but that's the only chance that it has. Progress, as Barack Obama said, is not a straight line. And right now we've taken a curve backward. Anywho, that soliloquy is over with. Stay tuned, and in just a moment, we'll be back with Mr. Alex Marks, candidate for state legislature and Victoria for the seat of Q on the Blue Hawaii podcast, Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Welcome back to the Blue Hawaii podcast. Uh, my name's Ryan Little. Today, we have with us a gentleman who needs some introduction. Um, his name is Mr. Alex Marks. He is a millennial politician uh, running for uh, legislature in his state of Q, which is in Victoria, Australia. So if you notice the funny accent, that's where it comes from. Um, Alex is uh, in the Green Party, which is a minority party at the federal level, um, and I believe is probably a minority party at the state level, but he is a fantastic man who also knows a lot about American politics and just generally has a wonderful voice. Alex Marks, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. It's great to be here on the Blue Hawaii podcast. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Alex, will you just tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, yourself? What's going on? Why are you running for office? Sure. So um, this is my first tilted office. I'm running for the state legislature of uh, Victoria in a seat called Q um, for the Green Party. 
which is uh, very similar to the Green Party in the United States, um, principally focused on environmental issues and social justice. Uh, I've done a few things prior to this. I've worked as an engineer, worked as a um, diplomat for the Australian government, but I kind of got fed up with the state of politics in our country and um, decided to join a party and get serious about it. So uh, it's uh, it's my night job at the moment. I, I have a day job as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, It certainly seems like a full-time effort as well um, after hours and on weekends. Sure. So I... Uh tell a little bit about, you know, what spurred you to want to run? Sure. Um, I think I've always been interested in, um, in the state of politics in Australia. I think we're not particularly well served by our political system. In what regard? Well, there's a lot of, uh, politicking, um, between the parties, a lot of scoring points instead of trying to actually do something constructive for the country or the state as the case may be. And, also a big disconnect between politicians and what people are actually thinking on the ground. And this is shown through uh, dropping off in the levels of trust in politicians and other government institutions over the past decade and a half, which is a similar trend to what you've seen in the United States and yeah. in Europe. So the seat that you have, you said it's you're running in the state of Victoria. Um, how many states does Australia have? We've got, this is a good question. <laughs> I'll just have to remember. We've got six states um, and we've got two territories. So our uh, six states, um, are Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia, Tasmania, and we've got the territories of the Northern Territory, which is where Crocodile Dundee was set. And that's where I'm from. Nice. That's a knife. And, is that uh, true? That's true, yeah. Uh, yeah, wow. that's true. And the state of, um, sorry, the territory of Australian Capital Territory, which is sort of like your Washington, D.C., it's a, a district in which the country's capital is in. Wait, so uh, the Northern Territory, now I'm saying territory, uh, I have a conditional <laughs> accent, so if I start speaking in an Australian <laughs> accent, I apologize. Um, in the Northern Territory, like what, what makes a territory different from a state in Australia? In a parliamentary sense, a territory gets two senators and a state gets 12 senators. So okay. they only get one sixth of the amount of representation. The other big difference is that the federal government can override the laws of a territory. So oh. a famous case happened about uh, 15 to 20 years ago where the Northern Territory introduced voluntary euthanasia legislation. Okay. So yeah. the right to die with dignity. And um, that was quashed by the federal government pretty soon after. So uh, there's, there's, less, um, uh, there's less autonomy in the territory governments. They also don't have uh, local governments, at least not in the ACT. So there's only two levels of government if you live in those areas rather than three. Okay. So they don't have that and county. So turning back to your candidacy, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you win... What is your what are your priorities for your constituents? So the constituency I'm uh, campaigning in is a really nice area in the city of Melbourne. Uh, it's a area that's changing a bit. So it's um, changing from uh, immigrant families that came in uh, 50 to 80 years ago uh, to younger professionals who are looking for a place that's close to their work and also next to good schools. 
Um, it's afflicted by some of the problems that are a big challenge for the whole of Melbourne at the moment, particularly transport. So some of those municipal policy issues that you have in the United States of traffic congestion and inadequate public transport services are a really big deal. And hey, don't also- you talk about our country like that, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just reading about the New York subway and it's slow decline. <laughs> You could even take the Honolulu rail and, and find out we have the same problems. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, at least you can ride a bike in the sunshine there. So the, <laughs> and, and there's a perception that livability is deteriorating as a result of this. So um, it's harder to get your kids to school. It's harder to get to work. Uh, and also lots of traffic leads to lots of traffic noise, a little bit of air pollution. Um, so there's, there's these problems around livability that are perceived as the issue. Also a declining faith in... Um, the uh, government institutions is pretty pervasive there. And some people are just tuning out because they're, they're sick of listening to the squabbling. Well, so you mentioned um, people tuning out, but uh, based on my uh, scholarship in, in uh, research of the Australian governmental system, which, you know, is of course the Wikipedia page this morning, um, Australia has mandated voting, right? It's compulsory voting. So isn't it sort of, illegal to tune out to some extent it's against the law to not vote and you are um issued a fine of about a hundred dollars if you don't rock up and they're quite serious at implementing those fines as well so you have to go into the booth what you do into the booth in the voting booth is your business so um you might draw a a a figure and or you might say something that's uh uh, what you think of what you really think of politicians and then fold it up, put it in the envelope and put it in the ballot box. So oh. there's this term called informal votes, which is about 15 percent of the votes that are made in Australia across and, all levels and of they're government. Just, basically, they're just, they're just people drawing dicks on. Yes, of paper. actually. So I've, I've been a scrutineer before, which is someone who's looking over the shoulders of the people's counting people counting the um, votes to make sure there's no uh, nothing dodgy happening. And uh Drawings of penises are not uncommon. Um, also, also, I hate the lot of you, or you're all a bloody bunch of scoundrels. Is other things that quite frequently what a, read. What is just a, a proper and polite way to insult somebody to just say you're all a bunch of bloody scoundrels, exactly. rather than the horrible things we say in the United States? <laughs> oh, there's there's worse. I'm trying to tone it down. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> so uh, it it's. Uh, so about 85%, I guess, actually either think about it, come up with their own sense of which preferences they want to issue, or they follow a how to vote from a party that they like. So that's that's actually very high participation compared to the globe. Yeah, it's incredibly high. Mm. Yeah, I think in, in Hawaii, we're significantly below 50%, as I understand it. Um, and in the United States as a whole, um, I think millennials vote at a, or say, are saying they're going to vote uh, at a rate of 23%, which is absolutely abysmal and completely disenfranchises us from the policies that are made in the federal level and really at the state level too. But, you know, right now, if you've been tracking at all with American politics, federal federal politics are sort of spinning out of control. Um, mm. But Australia has had its own share of... Uh, political squabbles over the past several months, including the ouster of a gentleman named Malcolm Turnbull, who's famous in the United States for uh, giving President Trump the worst call he's ever had. Can you tell us a little bit about that? About the call? 
Well, that came about the call about Turnbull generally. About Turnbull, and so Turnbull is a bit of a golden boy in Australian recent history. He was notable from quite a young age uh, for being a reporter in a magazine at the time called The Bulletin, I believe. And then he went to be a Rhodes Scholar in um, the UK, which is one of the... It's impressive. Impress- yeah, and it, it, it holds particular esteem in, in Australia more so than it does the United States. So people Why is really... That? I think uh, a connection to England that's historical. Um, I also think it is one of the few scholarship programs that's actually open to Australians. Okay. Uh, aside from the other one that's very prestigious is the Fulbright with the United States. So sure. I think those two really capture the imagination um, of young students. Um, he then uh, was involved in some really notable parts of Australian history. He was the secret source uh, for a a case that involved a spy, the spy catcher case, which was a really major um, historical moment in the in United Kingdom's common law justice progression. He also was a leader of the Australian Republican movement, um, which was our attempt in the late 90s to break free of the British monarchy. Uh, that attempt failed, but he did put his all into it. So I think, I think Australians across the political spectrum always had a pretty good view of Malcolm Turnbull. They thought he... Um, he was clearly intelligent, uh, principled, and uh, he had the same motivations as most of the mainstream population. Unfortunately, what happened was that to become prime minister, he deposed his predecessor, Tony Abbott. And to do that deal, he had to have the numbers within the party room. And that meant doing a deal with the devil in the form of some hard right conservatives. So when you talk about deposing a... The prime minister. I, I think, like, in the United States, we don't really have a frame of reference for that. I mean, like, we you don't, like, I you can't just dissolve a government here. So, for the listeners who are wondering, how does that actually work? Can you can you elaborate on that just a bit before we get deeper into Turnbull's history? Sure. So we have a Westminster system, and in that system, the executive is represented in the parliament. By ministers, so the minister—it's like as as if your secretary of defence sat in Congress as well as being the secretary of defence. Okay. And what that provides is it gives—it um, means that questions can be asked straight to the top of the executive through the parliamentary process, okay. and which is which I think is a really valuable thing about the Westminster system. You wouldn't How- want Trump answering questions directly, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's known to ramble. He's known to ramble. Yeah. Um, at least they have a time clock at 90 second response in uh, <laughs> Westminster system. Uh, 90 so, second response. He wouldn't even get out of talking about how big his, his uh, inauguration crowds were. No, no. He, <laughs> yeah, one of his favorite topics. It, yeah. Sorry. It, continue. So the, the other thing about the Westminster system is that the prime minister, who is the head of government, uh, is determined by who has the numbers in that Uh, in the lower house of parliament in the house of representatives at the federal level um so like your uh, like like your house of representatives in congress and that can change if there's a by-election and one of the one of the parties loses it and the party of opposition wins it it can change um through dynamically throughout the the term of a government and it can lead to governments falling and or, which has happened a lot more recently, when they're near the precipice of losing an election, 
the members of parliament freaking out and just deciding, okay, clearly our current leadership's not working. So they stabbed that prime minister in the back, figuratively, not really. And they uh, get a new, they, they pick a num- another one of their number who becomes the prime minister. Now, this is how every single prime minister has lost their role since Kevin Rudd uh, lost his prime ministership in 2010. So Kevin Rudd, Julia Gillard, Tony Abbott, and um, now Malcolm Turnbull have all been stabbed in the back. Uh, so it's it's a fairly modern phenomenon for Australian politics to have it this frequently. And it's a worrying phenomenon and it's quite depressing. I think there was there was a haze of depression across Australia when Malcolm Turnbull was uh, backstabbed. Um, it Everyone is like, oh, no, here we go again. Uh, and it was quite visceral, actually. There's a lot of young people calling into radio stations saying, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know who this new guy is. Why don't we get to vote him? So maybe maybe the silver lining is it leads to more engagement with the political process. So the new prime minister is uh, Scott Morrison, correct? That's correct, yeah. And he is a much more conservative, uh, some would say nationalistic populist, kind of what we're seeing uh, take shape across the globe. Um, he's more on that vein than a social democratic uh, prime minister, um, which is kind of what Australia is known for, at least relative to the United States. Isn't, isn't that right? I think we've been known for a fairly solid dose of social democracy since the 70s, but that's changed uh, since the late 90s in particular. Um, Scott Morrison uh, is... He is a party man, so he's not someone that's come out from the middle of nowhere and managed to take over the party. He's de- he was treasurer before he was prime minister. Uh, he's been minister for immigration. He's been uh, minister for social welfare. So he's, he's got a long time in the party. Um, he may try and appeal to people by seeming to be populist. I wouldn't rule that out. And he's shown some uh, approaches to his media Um, engagement that would indicate that, I think. Uh, But I think he's still finding his feet. Um, He is the accidental winner of the spill that occurred. He didn't really push it from what I can tell or from what anyone's been writing. It was pushed by a uh, a pretty odious gentleman called Peter Dutton, um, who no one likes at all. So no one knows why (laughs) he thought he could it off. I think Scott Morrison's still trying to define what he's going to be about. Uh, he's had a very rough start. If you have seen some of the things that have happened in his opening weeks as Prime Minister, uh, most famously, his media team tweeted a Fat Man Scoop um, meme oh, oh, from what? his Prime Minister. You know Fat Man Scoop, the, the rapper? Uh, no. I, is, that, is he an Australian rapper? No, no, American. Um, he's an, Oh. Yeah, I I'll, I'll admit I. So I can, for any I of your listeners, to stay up on him. I've never heard of him. For any of your listeners, Google Scott Morrison Fat Man Scoop, and you'll roll around laughing at how silly the, the social media account of the Prime Minister got for a while, which led to oh, ridicule for for a number of days. Um, and the the funny thing was the Fat Man Scoop song had uh, quite a bit of profanity, and he 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 is a evangelistic Christian. Uh, which is not uncommon for a United States president, but it's 
Australian prime ministers have tended to be more reserved in their faith. So they have tended to... um, Almost like you would want a separation between the church and the state. I know, right? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) It's easy to say when when you're a member of a faith that's also uh, the dominant uh, religious paradigm of the 20th century. Exactly. So, you know, all our prime ministers were white... Anglo-Saxon uh, males of the Protestant faith. Uh, hey, all th- of ours have been too. We just had the one. Oh well, actually, no, Kennedy. Kennedy was. Barack. Yeah, Kennedy was Catholic, and then Barack was black. But yeah, true. Yeah. So and- I, I'm just trying to say, let's not get into a into a president measuring contest here <laughs> to figure out who's got the whitest country. All right. <laughs> well, we we've had one we've had one Catholic prime minister too, to my knowledge, and that was Kevin Rudd. Um, okay. So the, the uh, yeah. yeah, Scott Morrison, evangelistic Christian. I think Australia is still coming to terms with what that means. There was a leak recently of some footage of him leading prayer at a mega church in Sydney. Uh, we have a drought currently in Australia. He was praying for, for relief from the drought. He was also praying for the, um, the people that died in the recent... Um, earthquake in Sulawesi in Indonesia and there was a lot of commentary that that's quite nice but that's not going to do anything uh, for those people that are suffering from the drought he should be trying to actually do something about climate change in terms of mitigation and adaptation instead of not talking about it so here we have uh, the thoughts and prayers trope you know where it's like uh, every time there's a school shooting all the Republicans come out and say well thoughts and prayers and people are like well thoughts and prayers are not going to keep your kids from getting you know, bullets through their chest. Um, so we, exactly. maybe we can, we have more in common than I realized. Well, this is, I think this is also a recent phenomenon. Uh, you know, the backstabbing of prime ministers is recent, but uh, prime ministers saying that they give thoughts and prayers and don't actually do something about the situation when we're having an increasing uh, frequency of natural disasters, which are wiping out people's homes, taking human life and um, leading to massive repair bills. So, we can't go on forward saying, oh, this is sad. We can't talk about the actual underlying causes of this being climate change and inappropriate development. We need to um, uh, help the people first and wait for the politics later, which is their code work for talking about climate change science. Yeah, uh, we have a very similar paradigm here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are a millennial mm-hmm. and you're running. Uh, what what was the moment where you were like, this is it. I, I have to run. I'm, I'm making this decision now. What was it that spurred you to action? It was, it was actually the uh, backstabbing of a prime minister, actually. So I was uh, on a diplomatic posting to the People's uh, Democratic Republic of Laos. And at the end of my posting, I was going to go do some grad study and I had a couple of months to burn. And I was... Uh, quite enamored with our prime minister at the time. I didn't agree Who with was every, that? that was Julia Gillard, which was the first okay. woman to be, she was the first woman to be prime minister in Australia, quite an achievement. And she was a doer. She got things done and, uh, had a very impressive set of achievements after being prime minister for three years, but then was rolled by her own party because they were a gutless bunch of wonders. Uh, <laughs> so the, it was mainly the men in her party that rolled her and then reinstalled Kevin Rudd. And it always is. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it was really disappointing being in the public service and seeing a capable, capable government being um, thrown out and Julia Gillard not given a chance to defend her record at an election. And I, I had a feeling she would win. We had a... I guess one of the things that led up to the Me Too movement in Australia was the misogyny that Julia Gillard experienced while she was in office from radio shock jocks, from the front pages of newspapers. And uh, there was a big outpouring of of, uh, abhorrence that this was happening to our leader who had won an election. Um, So she was the legitimate prime minister and why could people keep treating her like this? And uh, I thought she was a really good prime minister once she was deposed, I said, I think I literally said out out loud, that's it, I'm joining the Greens. Because the Greens uh, really have their act together when it comes to policies. They've had very cohesive leadership and uh, they have always been the sort of party that you look to as, oh, they've got the best position on this when you look at the evidence, uh, the, the evidence basis for their policies and the way they prosecute those policies in Parliament. Of course, when you join the Greens, you're joining the third party when there's two big incumbents. Uh, yeah. There's Demo- you know, the equivalent of Democrat, there's the equivalent of Republican, and then we're 10% the, of the, the vote. Yeah. For, for context, the, the equivalent of the Democrats is called the Labour Party, and the equivalent of the Republicans is called the uh, either the National Party, which is a little bit more, um, even more populist, but then you also have the Liberal Party, which makes it really confusing to remember that in Australia, Liberal is bad and Labor is good, except Labor is good everywhere. So we say capital L Liberal and small L Liberal to differentiate between the party and the the political philosophy, which uh, the two don't have much in common anymore. Let's put it that way. And uh, the capital L Liberal Party is in a coalition with the Nationals Party. And the Nationals is a strange mix of social conservatism and agrarian socialism. So it's, it's, a, it's, wow. a bizarre, it's a bizarre mix to have that uh, trying to align with a party that was nominally established on the basis of liberalism, but would now be more of a neoconservative, uh, socially very restrictive uh, party. So who's your opponent in your race? So the incumbent member of parliament is a gentleman called Tim Smith. He is a uh, member of parliament for the Liberal Party, capital L Liberal. Uh, he okay. is younger than me, actually. He's also a millennial. He's uh, 33 or 34 years old. I'm 35. Uh, he seems to espouse the social mores of someone 50 years older than him. Uh, who hasn't quite adjusted to the current day. So he opposed the recent um, marriage equality plebiscite that we had in Australia. Uh, he is just generally a bit uh, backward in his what he believes society should look like. So and just like Republicans here. Yeah, just like some Republicans there. <laughs> and, and, he, and he's just out of sync with his electorate. And every time I talk to people in the electorate, like, oh, man, that guy just takes us for granted. He doesn't respond to our uh, inquiries about issues in the community. He doesn't answer our questions about policy stuff. He's just, he's just taken the seat as his prize, and he intends to ride, ride it for as long as he can. So it's uh it's interesting talking to people because while the greens have a very modest vote in queue we only get about 17 percent at the last election um 
it's it's interesting to see how people are looking for alternatives and someone who can tell a positive image of uh, inclusivity for for uh, all Australians and uh, something you know a, a party that has a plan to deal with climate change has a plan to deal with congestion on the streets and has a plan to deal with housing affordability sure uh, well Alex I have a question that's been on everybody's mind um, how did Cooper Cronk fare in the URL rugby championship <laughs> You're asking someone from the wrong state. I know, uh, I know. We have two football codes, and I don't know what happens in NRL at all. Um, I, I, I know a little about AFL, but almost next to nothing about NFL. But I like so, the way you phrased the question. The accent was spot on. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, uh, Josh, the co-host of this show, was traveling through, uh, I believe he was in Brisbane um, up until early early last week and uh, early this week excuse me and he said that's all that was on the radio is just like is Cooper Cronk healthy can he go the city roosters versus the melbourne the melbourne demons i believe uh it was the melbourne the uh the melbourne demons is a aussie rules football club but it was up against so the melbourne it was a storm, storm and the melbourne yeah, storm lost and the yeah. melbourne storm is an inter- interesting phenomenon because Here's a rugby team in a state dominated by uh, Australia's first football code, Australian rules. And yet it's won so many premierships. They've done really well, but this this year wasn't their year. So, yeah, I mean, politics is a really interesting phenomenon when placed next to sport in Australia. So our, you can't really tell the difference between the back pages of the newspapers where all the sport coverage is and the front page of the newspapers. It's always people verbally slamming each other and... Um, it, there's more scandals in the political pages than there used to be in the sports pages with uh, drug testing or bad behaviour after games and so on. But, uh, you know, it's... I can understand why people get fanatical about sport because the political the political paradigm can be a bit depressing. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we've just been through our finals fever for football here a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, people now look to the cricket season. Uh, well, tennis no one knows what the hell is going on in cricket. <laughs> some people do here. Some people. I no mean, one some in the United are... States knows what cricket is. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> I, every time I watch it, I try to put the rules together in my head, and it just it makes no sense. It just it looks like an odd dance that people are doing um, in very nice costumes. In very nice costumes, and uh, the same could be said about Australians watching uh, the Super Bowl. We don't understand really? anything that's going on. There's amazing, uh, colourful costumes and ridiculously long <laughs> breaks between play. So um, there's there's mutual curiosity and befuddlement from both sides, I can assure well, you. <laughs> just so you know, uh, for your own edification, in case it comes up later in your day-to-day, Cooper Cronk was victorious. He had nine tackles and no misses. And oh, well, there you go. Kicks. Okay, yeah. if, I, if I'm asked on the streets of Q, I've, I'm now armed with that information. <laughs> um, all right, so Alex, we, you know, for the listeners, they don't, they don't really have the context for this, but you and I, we met in uh, New Zealand on a mutual vacation we were taking, and uh, that makes it sound like we were vacationing together, and we, we weren't, but we were fortunate <laughs> enough to, to, to be in the same space at times. I think um, it's a working holiday for us both. 
Yeah, well, my work was enjoying the sights of New Zealand. Your work yes. was actual work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and in our time together, I found out that you were quite into American politics, and it's really been a shit show over here. Uh, care to give your opinion? Sure. Um, just a little bit of background as to why I am into American politics before my opinion. I was very fortunate to be uh, an intern with Barbara Lee um, in the United States Congress back in 2005, which... That's Barbara Lee of California, right? Yeah, Barbara Lee of California, um, representing Oakland and Berkeley. And uh, it was a very eye-opening experience at the supremacy of uh, President Bush and his powers. And there's a... It was a tough time being a Democrat, and who would have thought that three years later, Barack Obama would happen? At that time, that sure. did not seem to be on the horizon. And my fascination has de- deepened since um, with American politics. I think that's, I think it's one of the most fascinating political systems in the world because of the growing power of the presidency um, and the 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 stage of the presidency and how persuasive that can be on the international stage, and also how. Uh, you know, there's a strong alliance between the United States, Australia and New Zealand in particular, and our place in the world is sort of dependent on your attitude to Asia and your attitude to us. So uh, it's if, if you're interested in the future of Australia, you have to have one corner of your eye focused on the United States to understand. So what's going on now? Well, I mean, I was <laughs> over the moon when uh, Bernie Sanders put his hand up. I, when I was uh, an intern in the United States Congress, people used to talk about him in the Democratic Party, saying it was really interesting what he was doing as an independent. And that was he, back in 2005. Yeah, yeah. When he was a representative, I think, right? He was, yeah. he was a member of um, the House of Representatives doing some interesting things, creating this phenomenon of an independent, which is more common in Australia, but almost unheard of in the United States at the, at the federal level. And uh, I was super excited when he put his hand up and I thought finally a social democrat who's sort of breaking the mold of uh, neoliberal policies. And this is what people need to hear after so many years um, of seeing their wages stagnate and not seeing bankers go to prison for what happened in the global financial crisis. Um, so I think uh, I'm definitely a Bernie supporter and uh, was delighted to see him so far, but was sad to see him fall short of getting the nomination. And I am of the opinion, like a lot of people, that if he had been the candidate, the Democrats possibly would have won. Um, I... I think what's happening now is a strange circus, um, which is a term that's used a lot, but it is a circus. There's a new act coming out every day uh, where there's something outrageous that's happening to distract you um, from the tricks that are happening behind. That's what it feels like with American politics right now. And it must be exhausting for the reporters who are covering it because they never really get a chance to go into much detail because there's so much uh, light and, um, you know, sparkly things. <laughs> I'm trying to continue with the analogy yeah. here, but there's so many, there's so many distractions um, in outrageous things that are said or stupid throwaway comments or uh, the mainstreaming into so many glib takeaways uh, of, that include racism or sexism or um, ignoring incidents of sexual assault. 
it's quite bizarre and it's very worrying for Australia to have uh, nominally a close ally uh, become so irresponsible on the global stage and um, really throw into jeopardy the global order because as a as a rich but small population with a moderately sized economy, we kind of depend on that global order to ensure that we can continue to prosper. And um, it has been it has been a bit nerve wracking, I dare say, for our diplomats. You mentioned that uh, if you're going to have an idea about the future of Australia, you have to have sort of an eye toward what's going on in the United States um, with the do you see any parallels between the Trump populism that's taking over in the United States that was um, in no small part precipitated by the global financial crisis? Um, do you see that populism leaking into Australia? I mean, do you think that there's that's part of the reason why Scott Morris was the guy tapped? Or do you think, uh, has Australia been able to pretty well insulate itself? I think that the way Scott Morrison is behaving at times is an attempt to try and keep those voters in his party. I don't think that was necessarily the reason he was tapped. I think he was probably just perceived as the least worst option uh, amongst his peers. <laughs> is it, yeah. Is it? <laughs> are Are you noticing the 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 populism and the the racial resentment and the the ideas of just like grievance politics taking over? in Australia at all at the, at the street level? Or do you think it's, uh, has Australia been insulated from that? So five years ago, we had an election and a moderately successful party in that was called the Clive Palmer United Party. And Clive Palmer is a billionaire who made some of his money through shoddy dealings, who used bombastic language, uh, was quite quite a he's quite a corpulent individual or he's since lost a lot of weight because he's uh, been unwell and uh had had some scuffs with the law now if that doesn't remind you of donald trump i don't <laughs> i don't know who does and he and he uh he did he got some he got shared balance of power effectively if he played his numbers right with uh the right allies he could defeat bills of the government in the senate so We've kind of been through our Trump phase in a way. We've we've had that harbinger of what it could be like. Uh, now, sometimes Clive Palmer could be exceptionally uh, moderate in his politics. He even had Al Gore come to Australia and talk about climate change with him on the stage. Uh, sometimes, though, in recent history, he's gone uh, quite cray-cray right-wing. And um, <laughs> I think he's trying to now emulate Trump. I don't know if it's going to have any sticking ability with the Australian populace. I think they're kind of sick of him. The places where populism has had some, uh, some magnetism in Australia have been areas that 15 years ago were quite prosperous because we had a mining boom driven by demand from China. And that meant that there was a lot of construction of large mines, which meant you could leave school and go out and get a very handsomely paid job without getting a university degree. So there were a lot of people earning a lot of money, but then the construction period of that mining boom ended and now it's operations, which are increasingly automated and don't require as many humans. Sure. So those people lost their jobs. 
And there were towns that depended on these, this mine construction that have now seen their population shrink and they've gone into economic decline and it's more people on welfare than ever before and ice addiction is increasing and so on. So I think that there's a, uh, there is a, people who have genuine um, concerns which are very valid and we should listen to them. And uh, one way of appealing, them, appealing to them is what Clive Palmer tries to do or perhaps more perniciously, uh, Pauline Hanson, who is um, the leader of the One Nation Party in Australia and is just an out-and-out um, racist, climate change-denying <laughs> populist. And uh, the, the appeal needs to be countered with an alternative vision. And for the Greens, that alternative vision is these country towns are in places that have exceptional energy resources if you look at the sun, the wind, even wave power. So why don't we do a massive investment underwritten by the public purse to get these solar farms and wind farms built out in these areas, extend the electricity grid, build big battery systems like we've recently had installed in the state of South Australia by uh, Tesla Corporation and not only create uh, an economic future for these people, but revolutionize our economy by decarbonizing it through um, bringing renewables to dominate the electricity system. So that's, that's the vision of the Greens, and that's how we're trying to speak to these people. Uh, the populist way is to say the reason you're losing your jobs is because there's too many Muslim migrants uh, and there's too many Indigenous people on welfare. Um, and the Asian migrants that have been coming for the past few decades are taking over our cities. Like that's, that's, their, that's their out and out racist line that they pitch to, pitch to these people. Yeah. So um, I don't think populism has gone to the core of Australia's mainstream political parties, but I do think the leaders of those political parties, excluding the Greens, have a tendency to dabble in it and uh, dabble in it to try and shore up their votes coming into an election. And it's a very unfortunate, um, it, it's, it's very unfortunate phenomenon that's occurring. Well, uh, I, all the best in your campaign uh, in Victoria, specifically the seat of Q, to counteract that and to the Green Party uh, at large and counteracting it in the rural areas. Um, there is one question that we ask every guest on this show, and I'm going to ask it to you. Uh, you've been to Honolulu a few times, is that correct? Yes. We ask every person what their favorite restaurant is. If, if you have to recommend one restaurant in Honolulu to somebody visiting, where would you tell them to go? Oh, Ryan, I'm terrible at remembering names of great places I've been, but you might be able to assist. All right. We, we, had, a, we had a dinner with um, our mutual friends on a wharf, and it was amazing, just with the sun setting and incredible seafood. I should explain to your listeners that I was there for a work trip. And so every event was organized. I didn't have to try and look up which was the best restaurant <laughs> to go to Yelp on Yelp. Um, I've also been fortunate enough to be at a, a, um, a guest at your, at the paddle, the canoe, the canoe club near one of the main beaches. Oh, okay. Near Waikiki. Yeah. yeah. Um, Paddleboat club. What was it called? That would be the outrigger. Outrigger club. Now, that was amazing. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. So, how about I say that? Outrigger is phenomenal. Outrigger. Also, I think your first restaurant, it sounds like you're talking about Nico's Pier 38, which is a phenomenal restaurant right on a wharf, uh, has great fish, uh, live music, and a good bar. 
So um, those are solid wrecks. And then if if we're ever visiting Melbourne, where do we eat? What's your favorite place? You get one. Wow, that's a tough, tough question because we have so many phenomenal, phenomenal places to eat. And I'm going to go into tough territory here. And I'm going to suggest... Um, you come to my part of the world near near the seat of Q because there's some really good uh, bars if you just travel down the hill to the to the city a bit. Um, one is called Lily Street Tavern, and that's an excellent bar. And next to it is a very very good pizza restaurant. So I'm recommending pizza to Americans, which I know is <laughs> is something I probably shouldn't do, but uh, the the pizza restaurant is outstanding. And it's part of the same ownership, so you can get the pizzas in Lily's uh, Tavern um, that are made next door. So I recommend I recommend that's what you do. All right, uh, and then we have one more question. That this one's more particular to you. Uh, can you give us in fifteen seconds the reason why all of our Australian listeners in the state of Q should vote for you, but do it completely in an American accent? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Vote for Alex Marks for Q because he will stop the Northeast Link toll road and build a train line to Doncaster so you can get to where you need to go on time. And then uh, my my pitch for you would be, All right, boys, it's time to vote for Alex Marks uh, for Q because he's got evidence-based policies and Tim's a real wank. <laughs> yeah, the, I might put that in an ad. That sounds great. <laughs> Spot. All right. Uh, well, Mr. Alex Marks, thank you so much for agreeing to, to chat with us. And I hope that uh, you have all the best luck uh, possible in your election. And um, I guess I, if, if people, if, is there any way for Americans to get involved in an Australian political election? I mean, if somebody hears you and they're, they're moved to action, I, I, I don't, in America, you can't give donations as a foreign uh, person as a, as a non-U.S. citizen, I don't think can donate um, to an American electorate, to American election. But can we donate to your election? I don't think the laws allow it here either. But what I can tell you is all donations to the Greens above uh, a certain limit are declared in, a, in real time. We have very transparent donations laws. Um, I think the best thing your listeners can do is go to my Facebook page and like it. And that's deal. www.facebook.com forward slash Alex for Q with um, the number four. And so Alex Q, Q is K-E-W. Q is K-E-W. Yes. Yeah. It kind of sounds like Alex for Q. Yeah. There's been quite a, <laughs> there's been quite a few jokes about that. Yeah. yeah I can imagine. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll share it uh, from our Facebook page because I'm sure everyone's going to love this episode. If nothing else, just for that beautiful voice of yours. Um, and, uh, we hope we can get you a couple more likes. Great. Thank you very much. And hope to see you in Honolulu or Melbourne before too long. Oh God. I hope I can come to Australia soon. Uh, Alex Marks, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you. Shout outs. Not many shout outs this week. Um, shout out to all the protesters who were, you know, in the offices of the Senate building who were arrested, who were shouting, who were screaming, who were making their voices heard who stood up and said something, shout out to all of you. Um, the biggest unshout out in the world to Mitch McConnell, who may actually be a demon, I'm not sure. The guy just seems to do every evil thing that's possible in the 
waking moments of his life. And I'm sure he's probably up to all sorts of evil while he sleeps. Shout out to Lisa Murkowski, uh, the one white lady who did the right thing, uh, unlike Susan Collins. Sorry, it's important that we acknowledge the positive and not just the negatives. Also positive. Hawaii takes back the Paniolo Trophy, defeats Wyoming, college football. Javon Cordero making his first start in quarterback. Cole McDonald get well soon. Yeah, suck it, Wyoming. Yeah. All right. Love you guys. Aloha. And that's all for us this week. Please enjoy the rest of your week. Hopefully there won't be another political crisis for at least another day or two. Um, stay tuned. Next week, Josh is back. We've got a great episode for you already on tap. Can't wait to share it with you. Thanks for sticking with us. If you like what you heard, please like, tag, share the episode. Uh, we're thrilled to get any sort of help and any sort of endorsement we can from our listeners. Rate us on iTunes. Rate us on uh, Google Play. Rate us on whatever outlet that you're getting your podcast from. Tell somebody about it. All of it really helps. That's all for now. I'm Ryan Little. This is Blue White Podcast. Cheers. Trailhead full of zombies I met a strange lady She made me nervous She took me in and gave me breakfast And she said Do you come from a land down under A women go and men wonder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder You better run, you better take cover to say I said to the man